I want you to find in your Bible <clears throat> this morning the one that you look at. If you have one of these leather-bound ones with, uh, with ink on pages, then if you'll find it, get it ready. And if you have one of those digital jobs that you can carry with you, the only thing I worry about is what happens if the power goes out on that, on that phone. I, that's... that's uh, you know, I, but they're very handy. And if you, whatever you have, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Now, that's one of those famous, popular, familiar verses of Scripture to many in the Lord's house and the Lord's family. And we could probably quote it. A lot of us without even having to look at the page. But I want you to find it, look at it, see it. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Here's how it reads. And this is the Lord speaking. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future. And a hope. Now here's the topic this morning, and it's taken specifically from this passage of Scripture, this verse of Scripture, but also from the context within which the verse is written. Love without limits, the shocking mercy of God. Love without limits, which is, in fact, the shocking mercy of God. Now, back again to Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Now, if I were to ask you, to whom do you think that promise was made? We might want to answer that question in this way. Well, they must have been good people. They, they must have been folks who had been walking with the Lord and keeping the commandments of the Scripture. They must have been people of great prayer for the Lord to say such things to anybody. The people that he would say that to need to have in some way or another proved that they were worthy of the magnitude of that promise. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, for good things, for happiness, for joy, for peace. Plans for welfare and not plans for calamity. I don't have plans for destruction for you. I don't have plans for diminishing for you. I don't have plans for shrinkage for you. I have plans to give you a future and a hope. Now here's why we can say that there is such a thing with God as love without limits. It's why we can say there is something about the mercy of God that's shocking. It's because the ones to whom those words were addressed were anything but worthy of the magnitude of the promise. The context is huge. Look, look at verse 4, Jeremiah 29, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile 
from Jerusalem to Babylon. Exiles. Exiles. People who have been sent into exile. The Hebrew word literally means to be stripped naked. To have had absolutely everything except for breath itself, life itself, taken away. The loss of possessions. The loss of position. The loss of property taken from them. Being picked up and not of their own free will, against their free will, picked up because they had been captured, taken from their homes, stripped of all their possessions, and taken to a pagan, powerful city known as Babylon by a king who didn't know the God of Israel king named Nebuchadnezzar, the only king who has ever been allowed up until, up and through the time of his life to breach the walls of Jerusalem, to pillage the temple, to, to, to steal all of the stuff out of the temple, the, the very place where the Ark of the Covenant, where God had said to Moses, and there, I will meet you between the wings of the cherubim, atop the mercy seat. And inside the Ark of the Covenant, the, the Ten Commandments and, and some manna and Aaron's rod that budded, all there, that, that place of great power, place where God said, this is where you'll find me. Nebuchadnezzar was allowed to pillage the temple, to destroy the city of the great king, and to carry multitudes of Jewish people away into captivity. Many others had been killed. How did they get there? How did they get to the place of becoming an exile? When they had been, they had been spoken of the Israelites, you've been picked out. Of all the peoples of the earth, Deuteronomy 6, not, not because you're great in number, but because I've set my love on you, and therefore you will be exalted as my people. How did they get there? How did they get to the place where everything was taken away from them, even their native land? Well, if you turn over a couple of pages to Jeremiah chapter 32, the Lord speaks back to Jeremiah in answer to some of Jeremiah's questions. But I want you to let me read down through some of this. This is the Lord speaking, and as he speaks, he gives the background for why his people have found themselves in such a sad, hard place. Verse 26, then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am about to give this city, Jerusalem, into the hand of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And the Chaldeans who were fighting against this city shall enter and set this city on fire and burn it with the houses where people have offered incense to Baal, a pagan fertility god, on their roofs and poured out libations to other gods to provoke me to anger. Now hold your place there, and with your left hand, turn over back to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses is speaking to the children of Israel before they are able to move into the land of Canaan. They haven't crossed the Jordan River, but they have been rescued out of Egypt. 
They were in slavery for 400, 450 years. And God sent Moses to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. It's time for them to be free. I have a land for them to be, that is being prepared for them that I want to take them to. And you remember the story of how Pharaoh's heart was hardened and all the plagues came forth and finally Pharaoh relented and let the people go. And as they were preparing to move into the land of promise, into the land of Canaan, the Lord gave them specific instructions. And basically, it was, you honor me, and I'll honor you. I'll give you these ways that you will honor me, or you can honor me. Just do these things. I want to bless you. I want to defeat your enemies. I want to take you into the land that I've promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that their descendants would have. I want that for you, but all I'm asking is that you honor me with your life. Verse 11, Deuteronomy 8, verse 11, beware, Moses says to the people, for the Lord, beware lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today, lest when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them in the land that he was taking them into, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart becomes proud. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness he fed you manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day, and it shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so you shall perish because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. Back to Jeremiah 32. The Lord continues. Behold the sons of, this is verse 30. Behold the sons of Israel. All these centuries have passed. All these generations have come and gone. Behold the sons of Israel and the sons of Judah have been doing only evil in my sight from their youth. For the sons of Israel have been only provoking me to anger. I, I didn't start out mad. I'm not a ticked off God. I, I, Jesus would say, for God so, what, loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It, 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 the Lord had to be provoked to anger. And that which provoked him to anger was just the flagrant and continued disobedience of his people to honoring him, provoking me to anger by the work of their hands, declares the Lord. Verse 31, indeed, this city, Jerusalem, has been to me a provocation of my anger and my wrath from the day they built it, even to this day, that it should be removed from my face because of all the evil of the sons of Israel and the sons of Judah which they have done to provoke me to anger. They, their kings, their leaders, their priests, their prophets, their men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and they have turned their back to me and not their face 
though I taught them, teaching again and again, they would not listen and receive instruction. But they put their detestable things in the house which is called by my name to defile it. And they built the high places of Baal that are in the valley of Benaham to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire, child sacrifice, putting them in the fire to satisfy a pagan God, a false demonic God, which I had not commanded, nor had it entered my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. In other words, the exile, the having had everything stripped away from them and being physically moved to a location that was strange to them, hostile to them, foreign in every way, that came as a result of premeditated, calculated, determined choices that were contrary to what the people of God knew that God did not want them to do. Folks, probably everybody in this room in one way or another at one time in our lives would have to say, there was a season in my life like this. I knew better, but I did it anyway. It wasn't that I... I didn't know what was right. I just didn't want to do what was right. The scripture will say, the way of the transgressor is hard. The scripture will say, the wages of sin, what sin pays off in, it may not be by dark today. It may not be by the monthly, bi-monthly paychecks that will come in, but the wages of sin is death. Serve yourself. Serve what we want, what we think we have to have that is contrary to what God says is health. God says is peace. God says is right. We, we choose the opposite, and it, it doesn't matter who it is. The law of the harvest comes in. Something dies. Some things die. In this case, they pressed it to the point that they lost privilege. They lost possession. They lost people. There were many who died in the process of this. Here's, here's what I don't want you to forget. Here's what I want you to hear. There is even in that place love without limits. And there is especially in that place an expression of the shocking mercy of God. Who, who was given the promise in Jeremiah 29, 11? Who was given the promise that I know the plans that I have for you? Plans not for calamity, but for welfare and for, who was given that promise? It wasn't a Sunday school class. It wasn't a group that had never messed up. This was a group of people who had blown it royally. Morally, they had trashed their lives. And it wasn't just for a once in a while. It wasn't just an occasional had a bad night and blew it. This is how they were known. It's how they were known. It's how they were known. But I want you to follow along back to Jeremiah 32 again. When you hit verse 36 of Jeremiah 32, out of the blue, all of a sudden, 
slipping up on us from behind comes a total change in the tone and the message. We've just had listed a brief description of all the reasons why the Lord was angered, how he had been provoked to anger by his people who knew better. They knew the law. They had been raised and they had been taught. But they did it anyway. Verse 36, now therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning this city of which you say, It's given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, and by pestilence. In other words, the protection of the Lord had been removed from his people. It had always been, or virtually always up until that time, that God was on the side of his people against the enemies of his people. But their sins, their choices had gone so much in the other direction that now God is on the side of the enemies of his people. God is the one who is behind the building of the ramparts and the amassing of the armies and the breaching of the walls and the coming in to pillage and burn his own city. I mean, it's bad enough, folks, when the devil's after you. But when you wake up one morning and you find out that God is on the side of your enemies, but to those people, to that very group, to those very ones who had done all those things against him, to those very ones he speaks these words. Now therefore thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning this city of which you say, it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon. Verse 37, behold, I will gather them Out of all the lands to which I have driven them in my anger, in my wrath, and in my great indignation. And I will bring them back to this place and make them dwell in safety. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me always for their own good and for the good of the children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. And I will rejoice over them to do them good. And I will faithfully plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I brought all this great disaster on this people, so I'm going to bring on them all the good that I am promising them. Somebody needs to say, that's my story. That's my story. And I have to shout an amen. I needed, I needed I needed the humiliation of the exile. I needed to have some things stripped away from me because I was too hard-headed. I was too arrogant in my own right to realize that what I was doing deserved the wrath of a loving and holy God who'd given me everything given me lungs to breathe, given me life to live, given me so many good things, but I just thumbed my nose at him, cursed his name, turned and walked away. And it wasn't until the exile that something changed in me. I had nothing to be proud of. 
I had everything to be ashamed of. But in that place, he met me. He met me. Some way or another, I heard him say to me, maybe not in these exact words, but felt it in my soul, in my bankrupt, barren soul. I know the plans that I have for you. Not for calamity, but for welfare. To give you a future and a hope. Folks, we miss much of the magnitude of this promise if we extract it from the context. But here are ones who had every reason to expect that God had abandoned them, that God had turned his back on them because they had turned their backs on him. They knew better, but they did it anyway. Can I say that again? They knew better, but they did it anyway. And the law of the harvest affected them. You sow those seeds, you sow those seeds, you're going to reap that harvest. And they reaped the harvest. But in the middle of the harvest, they found that the God whom they had forgotten had not forgotten them. That his heart was drawn toward them. And he made them amazing promises. There is so much of the book of Jeremiah. It's split not even evenly, it seems like, between the two. The first part of it is the coming destruction because of the sins of the people. It's coming. No, no, no matter that the temple is there. No, you can't stand in the temple. In Jeremiah's famous temple sermon, it, it's called. He was called to stand in the doorway of the temple and to proclaim to the people. You, you, you can't come and stand in the temple and say, this is the temple, this is the temple, this is the temple, as if it's some kind of magical protection zone. Or at the same time as you're saying that, you're, you're lying and you're murdering and you're cheating on your wife and you're, you're not taking care of the poor and they're dishonesty ravaging you. They don't play that game. God sees it all. God hears it all. He knows it all. You can't come running into the, into the temple and say, well, because the Ark of the Covenant is here and I'm Jewish, this is, I'm protected forever. I live like hell. Morals of a tomcat. God says, I, I, I don't, 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 don't joke with me like that. Okay, but that's who they were. That's what they did. The consequences caught up with them. But in the place of the consequences catching up with them, in the place of the exile, the word of the Lord pierces the silence. And the word of the Lord says, the silent part is, I know you. I know what you've done. I know how long you did it. I know who you were with when you did it. I know you. I know the things. But here's what I want you to hear me saying. I know the plans that I have for you. There's something, folks, listen, there's something about a season of exile that can bring us to our senses, can get the hard-headedness shaken loose, can disturb our arrogance, and can cause us to want to hear, be still enough, be willing to get low enough for the God of our fathers, the Jesus we grew up around, the book that we had multiple copies of and committed to memory as a child, something about the exile can cause those things that used to seem no relevance to all of a sudden become extremely personal and extremely relevant and extremely full of hope. So I love this listing of things. I will... 
one day when they return, they shall be my people. And I will be their God. They'll be my people. This runaway this hard head, this liar, this cheater, this one who has just forgotten all about God. One day, that one's going to be one of my people. And I'm going to be her God. I'm going to be his God. She will acknowledge me. He will acknowledge me. That's my God. Doesn't matter who else disavows it. This one avows it. Why? That's, that's, what, the, that's what the exile will do for you. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me, respect me always for their own good. I'm not doing it just because I want to see them squirm. I, I, I'm not pressing in a realization of who I am just because I have to have all these people bowing and scraping in my presence. It's because of their own good that I'm wanting this to be. You honor God, he honors you. 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 Amen. Dishonor God, and the equation breaks down. And all he has to do is lift his protection, lift his provision. He doesn't have to have a stomping fit in heaven when your name come. All he has to do is just lift his protection, lift his provision. Now, folks, some of us know about that. Some of us been there, done that, got the T-shirt and the cap. We know that's true. But what we're able also to say is, I can't tell you how to do a life right necessarily. I can tell you how to mess one up. But what I can tell you too is that the God who loves you, will meet you at the place of your mess. And he will do things, if you'll just turn to him, he will do things that you could never do for yourself. He has a heart of reconciliation. He has a heart to restore things that have been lost, things that it seemed could never be recovered again because he's God. And there's nothing too hard for him. He has the ability to turn the hearts of people back to you. He has the ability to turn doors of opportunity opened and back to you. He has the ability to restore the years that the locust has eaten. I'm not sure all of what that means, but I want some of that, don't you? Restore the years that the locust, the devourer, the devil, the schemes of the enemy, the stupidity of my own choices. He has the ability to restore years that the locust has eaten. So, so here, here, here we have this amazing Bible verse. And we camp out on this Bible verse. I know the plans that I have for you. Well, who is the you? Who is the you? The you is someone who had stayed so long in the place of direct violation of what God wanted that the consequences were deserved that came upon them. But in that place, to those people, to those specific ones, the Lord says, I know the plans that I have for you. Sin has plans. Satan has plans. Babylonia has plans for you. I got plans for you. Now go back to 29. Verse 10, 
the Lord continues to speak. The verse just before verse 11 is this. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you. He's just listed some aspects of those plans. Plans for welfare and not for calamity. To give you a future and a hope. Look, then you will call upon me. Then you will come and pray to me. And I will listen. When, when, when are they going to do that? When are they going to talk? Start looking? When are they going to be calling? It's as the exile has its effect on their hearts. The Lord's not abandoning. The Lord's not checking out. The Lord's not saying, you left Jerusalem, but I didn't left Jerusalem. I'm staying right here. Only way you can ever find favor with me is to get back to this physical location He said, when the time is right, I will come to you. Coming in the sense of bringing deliverance from the captivity of 70 years. And he said, as that is happening, as that unfolds, you'll call on me. (laughs) The, The shocking mercy of God. You say, well, how could it be the mercy of God that there'd be exile? How could it be the mercy of of God that they'd be stripped of this? It's the mercy of God when people are returned to God. And whatever it takes to get us from there to here, it's the mercy of God. Because it is in the presence of God that the fullness of joy is to be found. It's close to him that we know who we really are. Not out yonder. And whatever has stolen our affection, whatever has chased us away, whatever has drawn us away, the Lord in time, because he loves us, has to show the emptiness of that, the phoniness of that, the false wells that we, we call them wells, what Jesus, the Lord would say in Jeremiah 2, they're just broken cisterns that spend all your time digging and they get cracks in them and they can't even hold water. You, you, you chose that over me, the... Fountain of living water. The nearness of my God, David said, is my good. The nearness of my God is my good. So it is his merciful heart to deal with, to show the fakeness of, the phoniness of whatever would cause us who know better to walk away from him. The shocking mercy of God. what, What he uses, how he expresses his mercy. But then folks too, this this matter of 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 what what the, the 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 full expression, the full flower of his mercy towards somebody who has chosen to go away from God, what what his mercy looks like. I I, I love to read Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great old preacher of the 1800s in the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. Listen to this comment. This this isn't original with me, but it's just so good. His mercy is so great that it forgives great sins to great sinners after great lengths of time and then gives great favors and great privileges and raises us up to great enjoyments in the great heaven (laughs) of the great God. You see, the heart of the Father is about restoration. It's not about punishment. That's why he continues. As I tried to say a minute ago, there was so much of Jeremiah that talks about the impending calamity that's coming on the people because they wouldn't change. They wouldn't repent. But then there's so much of the book that is about 
what the Lord's going to do with them and how, how, how thrilled his heart is at the thought that they'll come back to him and the blessings that he wants to pour out of all kinds upon his people. Restoration. Reconciliation. Over the years, it's been one of the amazing things about the Alamo City family that just never ceases to encourage my heart, warm my heart to tears many times. The average age of folks who get baptized around here, meaning they've made a profession of faith, is, is in their early 40s, late 30s, early 40s. You know what that means? That means there have been a whole bunch of our lives that had been lived in the other direction. Thank you very much. So it's not a strange thing for an adult with children and various aspects of their lives that have been in disarray because of how they lived before. But I, I remember one, one man who had come to know the Lord in his early 40s. But he had fathered several children, different women, not married to them. When the Lord opened his eyes, he came to see me. With tears filling his eyes and flowing down his cheeks and hitting the carpet on the floor of the office. Through the tears, he said, Pastor, I'm believing that the Lord is going to let me somehow, some way, have a relationship with my children. Their mothers don't even want the children to know me. They've tried everything from court orders in order to keep me away out of their lives. It's just that they'll never know their father, but, and again, through the tears, not bowing up and saying, you will let me. Broken, broken. The exile had drained him, but his heart had begun to cry out to the Lord, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things passed away, new things coming. So we just said, would you pray with me? you pray for me that somehow I'll be able to have a relationship we started praying months passed a year passed or so I get a call from him he said and it was, this was I think the last one a young girl a young lady a high school senior that he hadn't been able to have any contact with. And understandably, I'm not saying anybody was doing anything necessarily wrong. He, he, he had made the bed and he had to sleep in it. He understood that. But he was that girl's biological father and he wanted to ask her forgiveness. and He wanted to tell her that he loved her. And he called and said, Pastor, there's a high school graduation coming up Friday and my daughter is to graduate and I'm going to just go sit in the parking lot and see if I can catch her as she comes out. Yeah, I can't tell you that after that happened and after that greeting and after that, at that, that, that everything just became peaches and cream and everything was sweet no, you know, nothing but little puppy dogs up. there was still a breach there was still a gap but a daughter was able to hear her father say I love you I ask you to forgive me for not being the man 
that I should have been in your life. But I'm asking the Lord to help me from this day forward. You're not going to get everything back. Time passes. But it's amazing what you have lost, what you have forfeited, opportunities that went away. It's amazing when the heart returns to the Father, what the Father is able to do for his children. You say, well, you don't know my story. I don't need to know your story. God knows your story. And not even the depth and the length of our sin is able to put a limit on the love of God. The limitless love of God. And the shocking mercy of the Lord. So, somebody may be listening to that. Hope you are. You say, but I'm not living where I need to live. I'm not doing what I need to do. Neither were the ones to whom the verse was addressed. But still God says to you, I may, somebody way out there on the far side of nowhere, you've forgotten about God, you're doing it your own way, you've trashed your life, other life, maybe on and on and on it goes. But listen, what, what, about, what about this? What if the God in heaven today sees right where you are, knows everything about you, and still says this, for I know the plans that I have for you. Plans for welfare and not for calamity. To give you a future. I can give you, the Lord said, I can give you a future and a hope. Sin just steals it. This world just drains it. But I can give you a future and a hope. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Verse 14. And I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Amen and amen and amen and amen. For those who could stand up and say without hesitation, that's my story. That's my story. It took the mercy of God allowing the things to come apart in my life because it was in that place that I began to cry out. I began to look for him. And it really was. I was looking for him for all my heart because I didn't have anything else. But I found him. He found me. And what you would say to others is, read my lips, don't give up on anybody. Don't give up on anybody. You know, we dress up here at Alamo City. We dress up, clean up, smell good. Our teeth are brushed, hair's in place. Today, today, but I'm going to tell you, if some of you knew who you were sitting next to, you'd like to get up and move. Who they used to be, who we used to be, who we used to be. Old things passed away. New things have come. Hallelujah. The shocking mercy of God. Love without limits. 
Now, before we go, I, I want to ask, ask you, I did this in the first service, but I want to ask you, if this is your story, if this is your story, there were years of exile, there were years of, but it was in that place that you heard him. It was in that place that things began to change for you. I want you to just stand up. Stand up right now. That's me. <laughs> well, you, you're about in the majority is what, what this. But hey, you got a story to tell. You're living proof that you can't outrun the love of God. And as old Billy Hobbs used to say, there's nobody too tough for Jesus. Let's stand up around them, would you? And let's just to pray before we go. Prayer partners, if you'll make your way to the front, and if we can pray with you, if there's something working in your heart that we need to pray with you about, if you, if this is just your day to come home, I'm, I'm, I've been away from the Lord, but I know I need to come home. I'm taking the steps. I'm coming back to Him. Lord, have mercy on my soul. We understand that. We can pray with you. We, we, we can say, been there. We know it's true. He'll meet you. But let us pray with you if we can. Lord, thank you for the time in your word. Thank you for this amazing story of how it's just, it's just impossible to exhaust the limit of our loving Father. But Lord, where we're stubborn, where we're being where we're thinking there's an exception to us, we're, we're going to prove that that's not really true, that we can get away with it, get away with it, get away. Lord, would you just pierce our hearts where we know better? Would you bring us home? Would you bring us home? You're not rules. You're the lover of our souls. You delight in relationship. Lord, may, may we know that in you and with you is our prayer. Thank you for brothers and sisters scattered all over this region and all around this world who can, right along with us here in this room, can say amen. Yes, Lord, it's true. It's true that when I called out unto you, you let me hear you. You heard me. I heard you. Things began to change. My life was rewritten from the place of exile. You didn't give up on me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, all the people said, amen, amen, amen.